Podwalkers, and welcome back to the Goblin Lore Podcast. Today we have part two of a episode with Daquan Watson, uh, part one we posted last week. Really got a lot into looking at content creation and ways that content creators can market themselves. We left off at the end of that episode kind of talking about, well, where do we go from here, especially with uh, the move by Star City Games to cut down on their competitive content, um, letting go a lot of writers that had been writing for a very long time, and with kind of some questions about organized play, we were wondering kind of what what does content creation look like moving forward? So that's where Daquan and I are going to pick up today's episode. Before we get to that, I want to just say to um, that this episode, again, is uh, sponsored by Zencaster. So Zencaster is a recording software that you can use for your podcast. Uh, it'll do both audio and video um, at 1080p. It is probably the thing that has helped save this podcast in terms of um, the amount of uh, episodes that we are able to put out because it allows for post-production using their pro model. Um, it actually auto-levels. It records guests on their end so you don't have to worry about people recording their audio and sending it to you or kind of any of those things that can really just take up a lot of your time as a content creator. So if you go to zen.ai forward slash goblin lore pod or use the co uh, code goblin lord pod, you can get 30% off of your first three months of a pro subscription. Highly recommend checking them out. We also want to say thank you to the Grinding Coffee Company. We've been very fortunate to be paired with this just amazing coffee company that really supports LGBT and uh, minority rights and, and really the rights of gamers and just kind of really focuses on that for charity events, for their mission statement in general. And we've been lucky enough to partner with them for uh, going on almost two years. So we just want you to sit back and enjoy part two with Daquan. So now that we're 40 minutes in, um, I, I want to say that uh, we've now finally managed to make it around to the topic that I originally pitched to you. Uh, so hey, I think you gave me permission to hijack the show. I, I told oh, you I, I can go forever. <laughs> I fully expected this. Well, and even within this, the topic that we initially discussed is shifted because that's what happens in life. Uh, I always joke that this cast does a really good job of being like awkward timing. That's part of our strength. We we put out a social anxiety and how to deal with it episode the week that the lockdown happened. And it was basically like, here's how you might feel comfortable going to your first magic fest. Here's ways to deal with stress as it comes up. Here's what to know. And then like two weeks later, we're like, don't go out anywhere or talk to humans. Um, <laughs> it's not that black or white, but it is really just kind yeah. of, we laugh at timing. And one of them was when I initially thought of kind of this episode was to, to do with content creation was the shifting landscape that we were seeing in the wake of the SCG announcement of kind of eliminating most of their pro player content. I mean, I was thinking of it when you were talking about, you know, people like Paulo or Gabriel Nassif, they didn't have to sell anything else. I, I actually think that that's, Gabriel is somebody that I think of because of even just the yellow hat and how he does kind of entertain when he was doing arena early on is somebody that had an understanding a little bit of how to market himself. For sure. Because what we saw was, it was like the earth ended when SCG said that they weren't going to be doing these competitive paying, basically their competitive writers any longer, right? They well, were eliminating most of their staff. Let me interrupt for a second. Right? Yeah. I think it only appeared to end to those that were active on social media. And, and that's a very specific statement because what the average player doesn't, and matter of fact, it's funny, we were just talking about this earlier, me and my wife, is that there's too often people don't understand that your world is not everybody's world. And it's very easy on social media, because when you're on social media, you're engaging with the most engaged in the thing that you are interested in, right? You are the most enthusiastic of enthusiasts or fans. But the reality is, I go to game, well, pre-COVID, I went to a bunch of game stores, talked to owners, whatever, literally have had conversations with people, magic players that don't know what a game nights is, or they'll ask, what's, who's the professor, you know, whatever. And you're talking about two of the biggest YouTube channels in the magic space with literally like, I think 600,000 subscribers each, Yeah, you know, they yeah. get 50 to 100,000 people for video or whatever. P 
people going to stores daily buying boxes of cards have no idea who these people are. And that's why when that ended, I was trying to explain to people, this isn't that surprising. When COVID happened, and I told and I had private conversations with people and said, this is going to be bad for people when they discover that these companies can live without that organized play. Not saying we don't want it. It does have a purpose and it's a good promotional tool and all that. Like, I think it needs to exist, but it's not as important as the people online think it is. There's retailers I know right now that have actually, well, one, they cut out their game space entirely for a while and brought in more retail stuff. And most of them have said they're not going back to the same size game space they had. They're probably going to be at 50 to 70% the size because they figured out ways they can make money without having to deal with, well, for honest, just being honest here, a lot of cases, rude or cheap players on a day-to-day basis. So what's funny to me is I, I, I did not feel as ca- caught off guard, even as somebody who was active online when it came to the SCG kind of announcement, partly because of the reasons that we, we'd already seen with all of the changes to OP and organized play. And, you know, there's a lot to be said, and we're having this discussion, the hilarious part being right after there's a there's an announcement that the Pro Tour is coming back. Um, but there had already been kind of a feel that there, even in the circles that I am in on social media, that there was kind of this changing of the guard, that I think that the pandemic hastened in some ways people's recognition that what Mark Rosewater talks about when he talks about the kitchen table player who spends most of the money, um, kind of what you were saying, that, you know, 90 five plus percent of players are not necessarily engaged online um there had always been this belief that you know that organized play and fnms and that i think people always wanted to believe that that really was what was driving and i think that it's been hard for people to see some of their favorite pro players have to kind of now struggle with the fact that what they have been doing is not necessarily what they're going to be able to keep doing as a career yeah, one of the things that we saw a lot, and again, this is from this is why I tell people you have to look outside your space sometimes. But this has been a something that's been happening in multiple gaming spaces. You know, there's esports teams. Well, first off, Wizards shouldn't have been playing paying for the pros to begin with, right? And and the the re, the way I say this, if you look around, using Riot as an example, they're not paying yearly contracts to the top players. Those people are getting paid by private companies, by endorsement deals, by esports teams. You know, Riot runs the tournaments and has a lot of prize money, but they don't pay individual people. Right. And if Magic or actually, let me be more specific. If the player players as personalities were that marketable, other people will come and pay them. A good example is like Seth Manfield still has some private deals and with an esports thing and whatever. Still makes plenty of money. Right. Some of these other players, again, were very good at the game, but they weren't personalities and they weren't streaming and they weren't writing. So it's like, what is Wizards return on that investment? There's literally nothing there. But when you look through the pandemic and say like, okay, we didn't even have really any organized stuff. We didn't have people going to FMs, but we still made 30% more in sales this year. You know what I mean? Like you look back at that, whatever that ended up being probably three, $4 million they were spending to promote and pay and whatever the MPL and the rivals. And they kind of go, what did we get for this money? <laughs> like at some point they're going to go, you know, there's probably a better way for us to do this. Now, right. admittedly they did not handle it the best. And there were other things we could have done. Yes. However, <laughs> I still think the ceiling is nowhere near as high as the people think it is that are complaining about it. Well, I mean, we've seen, so one of the things that I think that I noticed, which was already starting to happen and, and, the pandemic is the clear catalyst that made it explode was web play um, and being able to sure. do things like commander gameplay online. And I mean, we, we think about this with the fact that it allows people to be able to play magic across the United States, across the world um, in a way that doesn't have some of the issues that we might have with something like, let's even just say MTGO, uh, as we know, is kind of an older program that has not had as much kind of support. So we now have people at home with webcams, good knowledge and know-how of technology that really want to see their friends. And I saw that space start to take off. 
And along with that space, I started seeing a change for streaming to be more about personality, right? I mean, when I think of streams before, it was people testing for big events. It was oftentimes on MTGO. There wasn't necessarily even face cams. And there wasn't necessarily a need to entertain. You needed to play. You needed to be able to maybe teach. Um, But when people can come along and be very entertaining and offer a different product that Magic hasn't seen. Yeah, I I think one of the first signs was Wizards went out and bought Spell Table. You know, and I remember people freaking out about it. And I they came to me and said, what do you think about it? And I was like, I think it's great, honestly. So you should be happy about it. One, it says that Wizards is already aware of tabletop play, which I already knew because I've seen the numbers at Wizards. Like tabletop play is going nowhere. Even now it makes like double what digital play does. So no fear. Anybody who keeps saying they're trying to destroy retail stores and trying to get rid of paper, like they don't know what they're talking about. I can tell you 100% that's just a terrible narrative. We need to stop saying it because it's just wrong. But them buying spell table speaks to that. Because they knew, okay, let's make this as good as possible because it's going to be a benefit during the pandemic, right? They knew they were still going to be able to move paper products. They knew they were going to need something quality for people to play with each other. Maybe, maybe not. They had the foresight that people are going to use it to make a lot of commander content. I don't know, but it fits that space. The other thing is, and again, this is something else I noticed during the pandemic early, is people weren't going to just tune in for serious top-level play. For two reasons. One, they weren't going to be going out to play anything competitively. So who cares? Right. <laughs> like They're not going anywhere. Right. The other was they were going to be bombarded with negativity all day, whether it's people getting sick from COVID, being locked down, you know, job issues, whatever. So being somewhere they can have an escape is going to be better. So people who were able to entertain, people that were able to just, hell, for a while, I was even giving people a space to vent a little bit. You know, some people in my chat had, like, dealt with COVID. You know, just saying, like, ah, I got a relative that's got something going on or whatever, just so they could have some place to hang out, commiserate, you know, whatever. And even that was important. And I understood that early on after, like, my fourth or fifth, I would call, like, post-COVID stream, you know, was, all right, I need to be on time, available, I need to think about how I'm going to present some stuff because I'm becoming people's kind of escapism for two or three hours a couple times a week. And just keeping that top of mind on like, what am I going to talk about? How long am I going to linger on some topics? You know, and that makes a big difference. And I think all of that played into this transition of, you know, some of the personalities making more money than the pros. Yeah. And and I think that that was shocking for a very specific set of people. Um, yeah, I mean, the people that I think that we had always heard kind of the idea that believing that pro play is what kept magic alive and what made magic grow to be what it, it, it is. And I don't know, there may have been a time when that was correct. I do think that we are much further from that time than a lot of people would like to pretend to be. I think like all things in life, it's for a lot of people, perceptions greater than reality, right? So you hear the names of Finkel and Kai and LSV and Paolo Vitor and whatever. But that's because you're engaged and you hear them you're like, oh, well, it must this must be important and this must be a big thing. Right. But at the end of the day, if you go and ask any business owner, except for maybe the one or two stores that their whole business model was doing organized play, they'll tell you that, like, oh, yeah, most of my business, you know, they'll probably tell you 70, 80 percent of their business comes from just a person who walks in, buys something, walks out, doesn't even use their game space at all. Right. But if you're not in business, you didn't see it that way. You just saw what you saw at tournaments and at Grand Prix and you saw these huge numbers at events. And you're like, oh, well, obviously, this must be what's driving the game. It's one part of it, but it's not near the driving force that people thought it was. This is one of those things that's making me, you know, kind of think about when I am able to return to playing in person. It does start becoming those questions of if, if stores start removing gameplay what some of us are going to do. <laughs> well, the I mean, thing is, most of them aren't going to flat out remove it. But here, here's the thing. How many times did you hear or see online the discourse from players going, oh, I don't want to play at that store. They charge $5 for FNM. They should be making the money off snacks and whatever, not from entry fees, right? I, and I'll tell you with my store, I never ran a single event if I wasn't making at least a dollar, dollar and a half per entry fee per person, minimum. If I wasn't doing that, I didn't run the event. 
we would find a way to price it in a way that that was possible. Because you're still paying for employees. Maybe you're paying for a judge. You're you're running your, especially in Texas, you're running your ACs harder because you're putting another, who knows, 30 to 70 people in your space, right? Like all those things have costs. But you had so many stores that were trying to court those players because they felt like, okay, this is important. I have to have this. I can't get the reputation of whatever. Literally running events at break even or a loss, hoping that those players buy enough of something else to make it worth it for them to be in there. Now they're realizing that like, yeah, I probably should just charge the five, eight, ten dollars I need to charge. And if people don't play, they don't play. If they do, great. I'll just up my prizes or whatever for those players, but we should have this entry fee. So you're just gonna see that model change for a lot of people. And I was thinking too, you're gonna, you know, the it's what I think of is like we here in Minneapolis, we like to get together and we like to go play cube. We like to do something that does not involve kind of any entry fees um necessarily right i mean i would say that we tend to be the type of people that maybe they're going to spend more money on just other stuff because that's the players we are but i think a lot of people were used to just having a, a game space to be a place maybe to just go in and not spend money yeah but i would say a lot of the industry has gotten very creative about their entry fees too a lot of them aren't even necessarily charging you outright it's like they'll say okay we have like a three dollar table fee for the day if you're not playing in an event or whatever it is but they're giving you store credit for that same amount of money so you know you spend your three dollars you come in let's say eight or nine times during the month you've got 27 30 dollars saved up you can still use it to buy whatever you want right you have 30 dollars credit at the store so a lot of them are just using it as a way to say like okay if you're here using space i'm not using this space for something else but if you're still giving us money, you're going to make a future purchase. This is still fine. And I think that's a good compromise. So this week that you and I are recording this, we got an, another, we got an organized play announcement. And I think that yep. people were apprehensive as they are before every single organized play announcement. Uh, once again, we are talking in the context of the engaged people that maybe you and I see online. Um, because this could have a great impact on, well, what they're Everything. how they're going to get. Yeah, I mean, like, let's just, well, well, as you and I are talking about it, it, it isn't necessarily the case, but it is for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. it is the the perception, um, and it made me think, right? Like, in the wake of this, do you think that we're going to see people just expecting that, that content creation is going to revert back to? articles and that's going to be the main primary driving force um competitive play is gonna drive some of what the competitive world is seeing or do people need to prepare for even with an announcement like this that pro play is back and a pro tour is back and there's a clear pathway at this point to how to get there that ship's kind of sailed creation uh, in the way I that think, it used to be well from the way it used to be yes I'll, I'll agree with that. But the thing we have to look at is it's a we're targeting a different group of players now. Right. Before it was the all of those guys that were long in the tooth. It was the grognards, the diehards, the tryhards. You know, those are the ones doing all the grinding, whatever. But now we're going to have this group of players that let's say from 2018, 2019, had just started getting good enough at the game that they were like, well, you know, let me try a PTQ. You know, and then these people who started from then until today that have never had a chance to play in a big major event. You know, that the idea, the romanticized idea of just playing a big paper tournament looks like fun to them. You know, so these players don't know the old way. Like they hear stories and maybe you see some footage here or there, but they, they're not really entrenched in it. They don't have that nostalgic vibe and pull to it. So the way things are marketed, talked about, whatever, are probably just going to be different. But I do think from a content perspective, yeah, we're definitely going to have room for people to write articles and such, you know, because there's going to be people saying, well, I want to know what the best standard deck is, the best modern deck is or pioneer, right? Because I've got some tournaments coming up in the next couple of weeks. What are people saying about the format? What cards are hot? You know, I one of the things I was telling people even before the announcement, I was and people thought it was crazy, but I was literally telling people like, look, these cards that are expensive right now, where you're talking about Meat Hook Massacre, um, 
you know, Goldspan, Dragon, whatever. I said, you need to get those now before the announcement comes out. Because we, Wizards basically told us kind of half of what the announcement was going to be several months ago. Like there was, they wanted a qualifier system. They wanted to have some big events still, you know, but they weren't making any announcements till the the vision of what the world was with COVID was a little better. Yeah, I think the implication was always there that in-person play would be returning. Absolutely. And that's why the whole narrative of it, like just going away and wizard killing organized play and ball, I was like, y'all are just ignoring the thing they literally just told us. But I can tell you from having been at Wizards, they're just risk averse. So anything that was potentially going like if they would have had an event, a Grand Prix, and that would have been a super spreader event, they 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 would have freaked out. Yeah. And you're talking Vegas, about Vegas was like the nice toe in the water. Yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't run by wizards. <laughs> well, right. Right. And that's what I try to tell people. Like people are, well, flesh and blood did it. Well, this company did it. Like, yeah, sure. But they're they're taking an opportunity to get exposure and you know, whatever. Wizards doesn't need that right now. Like they're it it's more harmful for them being a bigger company if something goes wrong. The upside is too small compared to the devastating downside. Now that we have a little bit of a clearer picture on, you know, we got a handle on COVID, places are opening up a little bit, you know, whatever. Now we can start talking about organized play. And I think the announcement overall was very positive for a lot of people. Prior to going into this, I was anticipating that these big events, whether we had a pro tour, whether we had kind of something to replace it, our events were going to become more like I think a dream hack has been showing kind of recently with these kind of like mini cons and even mm-hmm. the the magic fest were starting to become that way that it was exactly. almost going to be, yeah, there's a tournament, but it's almost like, you know, a convention started and a tournament broke out versus the model that had been before, which was, okay, we have gameplay space for everybody else. Um, but yeah. Think about it though. That kind of makes sense. Right. Because if you say, in any game on the planet, you know, let's say 80, 90% of your players are going to be casual. It's like, okay, let's make sure there's plenty for all those players to do. So there's still a draw. We can still draw more people for our vendors. Cause what people don't know is those vendors really help pay for the space. Vendors at, at large events like that pay handsome sums of money, you know, sometimes to the tune of like $10,000 for their space. So the more bodies and the more casual people can get in so they can recoup their costs is huge. So that benefits everybody to run it like that more than just like, okay, we're going to have our players come in for the main event and you're mostly going to be targeting those players selling just the hottest cards or whatever and hoping they sell you stuff that you can sell later, right? This opens it up much more. And honestly, casual players spend more money. Well, I was just (laughs) going to say, you know, we've we've seen the game night's effect on uh, magic cards. Uh, We've seen it be in real time, just like cards that... You know, this is the reason we're going to discuss the reserve list. Organized play is not the reason we're going to be discussing it. It's going to be EDH at this point. Um, It's going to be more casual play. Uh, So that's always made kind of sense to me that I think that is something that's important for us to be thinking of. Oh, 100 percent. And I think that's why the idea of when I saw the announcement, I literally kind of read through it and went, yeah, this all checks. Like. There was nothing there. There, Literally, I read through it. I went, I went, yeah, there's nothing surprising here. You know, I said, if you were surprised by anything in here, you honestly are not aware of what the state of everything looks like. And like you said, some things have not been handled well in the past. And I think that there's always this fear of getting burned, even if it is what you were expecting. Sure. But I mean, we've also had video games come out that were blowing up people's video cards. So I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like I mean, we, we things happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, the, the thing that I will tell you, the thing that bothered me is I did see somebody, and I I wish I could even remember the person's username, but because I you know I would call them out since they posted publicly, but they were sitting there complaining like, oh well, they're still just going to find a way to screw this up. And I'm like, okay, cool. Based on what? Right. This is literally like. They basically gave you 95% of what you asked for, right? I mean, they didn't have like a team event and they didn't have full-fledged Grand Prix. Though we're getting pseudo Grand Prix, right? But that's really kind of all that wasn't in the announcement. Yeah. So I'm like, so they gave you 95% of what you want and you're still going to sit here and pardon my French, but just bitch about it, right? Like, why did you even roll out of bed? Right? Go back to sleep and start over, right? You just woke up to be mad at something. 
And one of the things I tell people all the time on our podcast that we push is we're going to bring something up. We're going to talk about it, complain about it if it's bad, but we're also going to praise it if it's good. And this is one of those things that I honestly think from the way it was laid out, the structure of the whole thing, the morning announcement, the afternoon follow-up to Q&A, whatever, the whole announcement was handled very well. We, we talked about that on the, the show with, uh, you know, so we did a, the whole two-parter on the Killian Lou story and uh, kind of the the model minority. We kind of had uh, both Brian and um, Michelle on who have been on a couple of times. And one of the things that we had talked about on that episode was we want to revisit this. We were nervous about Kamigawa because, uh, you know, at that point there was only rumors about it. When Kamigawa hit and we saw the amount of thought that went into it, and you touched a little bit on this actually two years ago. Uh, well, going on two years ago mm-hmm. it, with the show when you when you came on and talked about this idea that like change that people want to see are going to take time. Right. Absolutely. Like they can be in the works and, and, and the, the effects are not going to be out yet. And this was one of those areas. So when we came around to Kamigawa, nervous. Yeah. As soon as that first kind of like Q&A happened and they admitted to like c- cultural consultants and they put that person front and center, you know, we were already planning on getting back together to record when Kamigawa came out. And we started out with like, hey, we need to acknowledge that this is something that they did well. Right. Like, absolutely, we can't just harp on them for all of Strixhaven and then just try to come at this at, at a different angle and ignore it. We need to admit, like, this is where they improved. Like, is there still room to grow to the next level? Sure. I mean, other than just like the cultural impact that they got correct, like everything top to bottom on the marketing has been amazing, beautiful. The whole anime trailer thing with like that, that was ridiculous, but like really cool. Like they literally checked all the boxes you could want culturally, flavor wise, look, feel. Right. And I'm the one who didn't even like original Kamigawa. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, seriously. And I'm looking at this and going like, yeah, there's nothing to complain about. Well, I think that was, you know, being a lore based podcast, War of the Spark. It was kind of the point where our show shifted because of, as you said, like story got taken away. Then the way that we got it wasn't great. So it was like we got everything we got. Even the announcement that they were going to be doing story ahead of cards, because what was happening was when story went to the wayside for a while, previews basically ruined any story that there was. Yeah. You know, the cards yeah. were basically the set was spoiled. We knew kind of the story beats before we actually read a story. So, yeah, we it's always one of those things that I want to acknowledge when people do good things as much as I also am going to be frustrated when they don't. So I, I love to hear that you guys take the space to actually do that. Yeah. Also, talking about like cultural things they're doing, I don't think people are even aware. They're about to have a D&D adventure book come out. I believe it's a book of like 13 adventures, if I'm not mistaken, that are all written in a new world setting with an all ethnic writing crew, like top to bottom. Like, so when people are saying like nothing's happening at Wizards and, you know, they just hired this, whatever they her job is for cultural director or whatever just as a figurehead and blah, blah, like no things are happening but wizards is a humongous ship ships don't turn fast <laughs> like it takes a while yeah well daquan you know it's really funny because I, I i kind of expected as we would have a pretty wide ranging discussion and that's why when you made a joke about hijacking the show i was like yeah i was already planning on that or expecting it hoping for it. This is me and my love of chaos. I mean, that is what I I just bring people on with what we want to talk about. And then I know that there's going to be handing well, over of the reins because I'm bringing you on for a reason. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I just want to thank you for taking like that much time to even discuss how maybe people can start marketing themselves if this is a space that you want to be moving into and knowing that the landscape has shifted. A lot. I I really do think that it still has, as you and I are discussing this, from, you know, if you are going to be marketing yourself, thinking of that why, and right now it might not just be, I am a very good player. That's not necessarily going to be what's going to separate you. And even with this organized play announcement, it's still going to take these other questions that I think a lot of creators have not taken the time to think about. 
Oh, for sure. Even with the organized play thing, there's going to be a lot of angles you can cover. You you can be the person who's doing the top 10 from the last weekend's tournaments. You know, somebody who's curating all this stuff online. You could be the person who's talking about the top deck in each of the different formats. You could be, hell, honestly, just for being a standard arena content creator, I'm probably going to get more views as more tournaments start. You know, as people just looking for decks and ideas, right? There's going to be a lot of space for a lot of people, but you have to be willing to fairly and honestly look at the landscape and figure out where you're going to fit in. And how much time is going to then go into upfront investment on that? Correct. Just the amount of hours that are going to be spent. Just thinking about these things, setting up marketing yourself, setting up your how you're going to be selling. I, I think of it as if you want to do a podcast, this is one thing that I, I will throw out there for people because I've been asked sometimes about like starting one. We didn't even put out an episode until we had two or three reported. Yeah, because so people had stuff to follow up on after they listened to the first one. Right. And we did not want to be caught with like, oh, cool, that was fun. Okay, now we didn't get one recorded. Now we don't have something consistent. As you said, a lot of people, we were we were kind of told by, uh, I think, like the Manipool, Chewy, from way back in the day of magic content creation. Uh, you've hit 10, you actually are a podcast in some ways. Um we're we're at like a hundred and something now and it's blowing my mind so yeah this is something else that like if, when people come to my especially like my magic content my gameplay content for the first time they look at it and they're just like you know i get a lot of comments of people going like oh man your stuff's so different or oh it looks way different than other stuff people are doing and i said what people don't realize is that's because i've literally stolen ideas from around the internet from a ton of different categories creators maybe not identically but like a technique they use or something that i have brought in because i literally have set aside three to four hours every week just to find creators a whole subject space whatever i know nothing about and just see how people are marketing it matter of fact if i can have another couple of minutes here oh my gosh i have so i have so i may need to be back on the show i have too much to talk about (laughs) (laughs) hey we said from the very first time it is always an open invitation (laughs) but one of the things i did at the beginning of the pandemic i literally thought about what industry can i think of where somebody makes content but they won't be able to do that thing right because if they can make content i can make a change of content so i went looking for somebody who did stuff for cruise ships because i'm like if you go on cruise you absolutely are not going on cruise during the <laughs> pandemic right it, it was one of the first things i could i'm sure there were other things but it was one of the first things i could think of i'm like what industry is just going to be destroyed i'm like okay let me think of something in travel that's unique and i found an older gentleman and i wish i could remember it was like two years ago but i was watching okay what is he doing okay he's he's following some of the news he's talking about the history of cruise ships like he's pivoting into this other stuff in making it even more educational other than talking about like destinations and deals and whatever and still getting his views. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me try to do an angle of that, but magic related, right? How can I turn this into some more educational stuff that other people aren't doing here in the early goings of the pandemic? So they get something that's not just pandemic related, but still engaging, right? But that came from me finding a different space and understanding what other people are doing because nobody's taking that angle in the game space. So I become the one that's doing it. But I have to set myself time to research that to even know that that's out there. To make once again, you are doing something completely non magic related uh, from the outside, right? Like if somebody mm-hmm. was to be asking you what you were doing, it appears so far from magic. I mean, we had an easy pivot, and I'll be honest about it, because part of it is we were going to be talking about it because we were now going to be talking about how do you deal with this? How do you cope with it? How do you know, like, there was a lot of elements of our show that were already set up for, okay, we, we've been in this lane. Now, how do we discuss about what you can do in a world where magic is shifting and how people are playing it? And we're also looking at how mental health is being impacted by something very real. Uh, I mean, more recently, we took it to the next level and kind of looked at teletherapy, for instance, because yeah, while that may have existed beforehand, I wasn't doing it. It was very specialized. It was very like kind of niche for people to even offer teletherapy. We sure in the hell weren't doing it at the VA. If we were, it was to some very remote rural areas and it was well underserved. But guess what? My job overnight completely shifted to 
95%, even at this point with me being back and us being quasi open, I got people that are risk aversive that aren't coming in. So it makes sense now that this is a wider topic to discuss. So for us, it was kind of like, okay, great. We have a pivot. Um, and that's a good but, space, though, you know, because yeah, well, that's fine. For I, us. I did. <laughs> I did a couple of those videos. Uh, one, because I was out on a camping trip and I specifically made a point that I, I'm going to record something here. So people see that I'm not just at my computer. Right. Even though people saw me every day making content and I literally have not missed a day of content since February 1, 2020. Right. But I wanted people to see it like, hey, even I'm making adjustments. So I'm not just sitting at my computer every day. Like you might see a video from me every day, but I've pre-recorded some things. I'm making sure I'm giving myself time, basically giving other people permission. Because, you know, sometimes you just need that example of somebody saying, like, it's OK to go do something else. Right. Here it is. You know, I went and did a video with the professor where the actually he was like the only person I think I engaged with for at least a year and a half. (laughs) And we literally we got together. We talked about it online. We talked about matter of fact, we did three videos, but one got eaten by the technology gremlins. But we talked about different subjects we were going to do. We quarantined for 10 days. We both got covid tests. I drove to to visit them. We did two days of content and then I drove back. That was literally it. But it was about you know, what is the future going to look like? How do people deal with being away from their friends and whatever? And, you know, how do we deal with this weird time as gamers and doing that whole mental health talk? Because I think, again, some people just needed to hear it from people that they knew or appreciated or whatever. So they had the example to say, like, it's okay to feel a little different, right? It's okay to do things differently right now because the world is different. And I think that was hard for people to accept but it was big as we started seeing more creators saying like, hey, it's all right. Things aren't normal right now. You don't yeah. have to pretend it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot be OK. It's OK to not be OK. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I am most days. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk, make sure that I get a chance to talk about as a mental health professional. I'm very open about my own mental health. And, you know, I always kind of find it funny that, to to. I think that within my field, there's often this perception that, you know, like we're not going to have bad days or we're not going to let it impact our work. And it's just such bullshit that it's just funny to me because it's like, obviously, you know, we, when we did our teletherapy, teletherapy episode, people were talking about like, well, you know, for me as a patient, it's difficult because I might be tempted to be looking at another window or be distracted. And I just want to always be like, yeah, it's not just you. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Sorry to say, but your, your, your provider probably is also going to be likely to be distracted or have those things happen. And that is a thing that is different that, that we're navigating in a world of therapy now. Hell, that was a thing I had to, to work on it. while making content. It's like, like I said, even having the awareness that I need to be present for people that need to unwind from their COVID world. Right. But even then there were times that I'm like, yeah, I've got something going on on the side or somebody's responding to an email or sending me a message. I'm like dealing with that while I'm streaming, but you know, knowing that like, I need to give these people my proper attention. Right. So like, but you're still kind of like in that space of like, uh, how much of myself can I give? Right. And you, and I think that's been hard on creators too, is understanding that, you know, it's okay to just say, Hey guys, I'm not streaming tonight. You know, I'm not feeling it. I'm a little tired, whatever it is. Right. And honestly, I think you do yourself more service to say, we're just not going to put out our normal content today for personal reasons. Then instead of doing it and one being miserable, getting through it, but two, just not putting out a quality product for your audience. Right. Like, like nobody you, wins if you do that. Yep. You, 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 you risk damaging your brand enough that doing it was a mistake. And I, I will say one of the things I've been most excited to see in the last even six months more so is people saying that. Like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm not in a good mental health space right now. I'm taking tonight off. And, you know, we'll talk about the idea that, yes, you got to have a consistent product. Like, that's something that's important. But the people who have that consistent product that are then willing to say, like, you know what? Yes, but tonight's not happening. And to just not make necessarily excuses for it, not to explain it away or try to just push through it's making a difference to have these conversations. I mean, it's one yeah. thing I, yeah, I just am excited to see. I think the one thing creators need to understand is you always control your narrative, whatever it is. Don't let the tail wag the dog, right? Like you are in control. You decide what's good for you or not. And your audience will follow. 
if they're going to be upset, and I tell people all the time, like, matter of fact, I had somebody the other day try to explain to me that, like, well, if you do this this way and this thing, you'll get more viewers faster or whatever. I said, that's cool, but that's not the audience I'm trying to cultivate. So if it takes me an extra month to get that extra thousand subscribers on YouTube or whatever, then I'm okay with that because I know the people that are here understand my messaging. They're here to support me. If I'm into a thing or into a product, they're going to be more likely to support it or buy it or whatever, right? I'm building a particular audience. I'm not going to push myself into doing things I don't find entertaining or I don't find beneficial just for the sake of hitting numbers. Because mm -hmm. in the long run, I'm just going to end up, maybe, maybe, I don't even know if it's true, but maybe I might have a little more money, but I'm still going to be miserable producing that type of content to feed that audience. So right. it doesn't do me any good in the long run. The trade-off between it, you know, there, there, there is something that is very, very real. Like, yes, more money allows for flexibility and freedom. And there also is you putting out a product that you enjoy and that is going to not weigh on you <laughs> in some ways yeah. to put it out. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a, it's a tough narrative because I do think people are likely to take every negative comment to heart, you know, and you just can't when you're a content creator, right? Understand that like, if you're doing everything purposeful and you have a reason for everything and there's a long-term strategy and whatever, then you're doing what's necessary for your plan. And not everybody is going to agree with every action. It's It's impossible. You know, like if I get 300 comments on a YouTube video, well, I know that at least 10 or 15% of them are probably not going to like what I did. They're going to complain about something in my video. Like, unless it's a consistent complaint, then I can't really do anything about it. I just, you know, matter of fact, I think it was somebody said, well, sometimes I don't like it when you take as long to make a decision in your video or whatever. But I politely explained to him like, hey, I appreciate the input, but I have had a lot of people specifically comment that I take longer to explain all my thoughts and everything else so they understand why actions are happening. And sometimes that causes me to play a little bit slower because I have to process, plan, then communicate those things in exact words so the listener can actually understand what's going on in my head before I make the action, right? Because it's just the speed of arena, so it's going to feel a little slower. And that's okay. Like if that viewer doesn't enjoy my content because of that, I have to accept that that viewer is going to have to go away because he's not into my educational style of content. And that's okay. Like there's going to be way more people that are, and that's fine. And that's for everything, right? People have to understand that like YouTube gets whatever the dumb number was. I saw that day, something like 10 billion views a day or some insane number. Like there are plenty of views to be had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's not a zero sum game is what you're yeah. kind of saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the other thing. Like we got to get over this whole like combative this person's only getting views for this reason, or I'm not getting views for this or whatever. Like everybody can get views. Like everybody can get followers, subscribers, whatever likes and whatever. There's so much interaction online that nobody is even going to get 1% of the pie. Hell, you're lucky to get one tenth of 1% of the pie. You would be, and you would be the biggest content creator in the world. If that happened, right? There's so many interactions to be had. Just because somebody else is getting something isn't the reason you're not getting something, right? We have to understand how to compartmentalize stuff, grade ourselves appropriately, and say, okay, what can I do better or wrong? Or honestly, there's people, and I'm going to admit, people I don't like watching. But I still at least look and go, let me see what they're doing to get their audience. And is that something I can do, but still get the audience I want? Because they're doing something right for some sector of people. And is that a sector that... I want to have eyes on my product. Exactly. And again, that yep. comes down to doing that research and analyzing because just copying that person might get me an audience I don't want in the long run or that <laughs> I can't entertain in the long run, right? Like again, not talking about CGB's audience being bad, but if they want a certain style of play or a certain personality on camera, over time, I'm going to be miserable trying to pretend to be something I'm not. So it's not even worth it for me to worry about that. If they come over naturally because, you know, cross-pollination or whatever, and they like my stuff, great. But I'm not going to go out of my way to mimic CGB to try to build the same audience he built. And I would say that to me that makes sense in terms of the, this idea of intentionality because by doing it, you would run the risk also of potentially losing some of your audience that you have mm -hmm. that you actually value. Absolutely. 
And I think that in our, our biggest thing that we're harping on this year to date, four months in, is intentionality. Like everything we've been talking about on our episodes, it's been an undercurrent that's been consistent is intentionality um, and, and value system. Honestly, uh, it started with us talking about just like a new style of planner and this idea of a planner that's not just a to-do list, but really is purposeful. And it, it was created for that reason. And there's a reason that it appeals to Alex and I is because there's an intentionality to it that really forces you. Well, if you choose to use it, it encourages you to be intentional and to kind of explore your value system. And I think that I would love to see a lot more discussion about people's value system and what their Here's, priorities are. Let me talk about uh, this will probably be the last thing so I can let you close your show. Eventually. <laughs> but th- it's this already kind of, into two parts. We're fine. This is one of the things I talk about when I consult with people that kind of blows their mind. So if anybody's wondering like how serious I am about what I do, when I started, before I started streaming, I would literally watch, I tried to set a time aside to do about an hour and a half to two hours of just flipping through different streams of people playing uh, Magic, but a few other games. But I tried to focus on Magic, knowing that, okay, I'm probably going to be playing Arena once I made my mind up. And I looked at different time zones and different times throughout the night. And I wanted to know who's on, how many people are on, what are the average views, whatever. And I just kept a little spreadsheet. I wish I still had it. But even going through there, I'm like, okay, well, who are people watching during this time? Who are people watching during this time? And what I realized is, okay, there's fewer people to compete with if I get on after prime time in the U.S., which works out because I'm on the West Coast. So if I start streaming at 9 o'clock, a bunch of the people that are on at 7 and 8 in most time zones in the U.S. are either done or they're coming close to finishing, which creates two things. One, I had less competition. And two, there's a chance I get some of those people that raid me because they see that I'm on or whatever. So I get an audience. The other thing was understanding who was on during that time now that I've chosen my time slot. And what I realize is that's actually the right time for being just after work for a lot of people in Australia and New Zealand. So I started researching what's going on in Australia and New Zealand because I knew some of them were going to come into my chat so that I could actually communicate with them on things that matter because they're English speakers. They're probably going to be watching some English streams and magic. And literally like, Coincidentally, a couple months later, I think, is when those fires started in Australia. So I tried to keep up on topic, asked some of them about where they live. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw this on a map and, you know, whatever. And what happened is I also learned a lot about Australia. As a matter of fact, fun fact, their natural animal is like kangaroo in Australia. But not because it lives there, but because it always moves forward. What? And I was like, it's <laughs> one of the most beautiful things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> But this is stuff I to communicate with and things. I, I learned that it's okay to call people from New Zealand Kiwi because I had to ask. I'm like, is this an insult? Because like people say that here in the States, but like, you know, we're dumb Americans sometimes. Like, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, everybody says Kiwi. I'm like, all right, cool. But what happened is I was able to cultivate an audience right off the bat because several of the Australians and New Zealanders came in and started hanging out. And they're like, oh, there's other people from Australia here and other people from New Zealand here. And it just became a normal thing. And I still have some of those people as regular. Some of them are subscribed for like a year and a half or two years now, you know, because they've been coming in. But it's that level of intentionality to say, okay, not just when am I going to stream? Who am I likely to see during this time that I may not know about? Because obviously I know about Americans and everything going on, but it's who else might be watching. And even that level helped me ramp up. I never, after month one or two, I don't think I had a stream with less than 10 people on my stream. And if you read all the stats and whatever, they tell you some insane number, like 90% of all people that stream on Twitch never get more than five people, which sounds ridiculous to me that like you would stream for more than two or three years and not get more than five viewers, but it happens for a lot of folks. So yeah, a lot of stuff I do when people think I have a secret sauce, you know, because they look at my numbers on Twitch and on YouTube and whatever, and like, how are you able to do this? And I was like, I actually had somebody yesterday accuse me of buying views and and subscribers because there's no way i could have that many in two years without having a bunch of connections or whatever and i'm like no that wouldn't do me any good anyway they would all get blocked or whatever and i'd end up getting banned by youtube what would that do for me like, people's makes perception me of how those things really work versus how they yeah, work it's like, in practice. It'd just be dumb it'd yeah. just be for bragging rights for something that doesn't even make money because they wouldn't be active engaged viewers so why even bother doing it but I get it because people struggle and they look and say, there's no way you could do this. I said, no, there's understanding and there's things it's, 
it's not an accident. You don't like, sure, you can get lucky. And sometimes the right person shares the right thing. I don't know. Oprah talks about you or whatever. And everybody goes and watches your YouTube video or whatever it is. That'll happen. But that's a one in who knows, 100,000 thing. Like, it's just not likely to happen. But there's a lot of little things you can do to give yourself a chance. But it's all about intentionality. Like you're saying, understanding your message, understanding your goals, understanding your audience, like all of those things matter. And you can, I guess you can shortcut it if you have an understanding of everything you're doing. If you're just flying blind and just making it up as you go along or whatever, it's going to be way more difficult. Well, there you go. I'll I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> I was like, that is a you know, that's a great place to leave us. So, do you want to tell people where to find you again? Yeah, you can find me everywhere on social media at Power Dragon P O W R D R A G N. I'm a ridiculous follow on Twitter. If you want to come by, I have content up every single day on YouTube, and I also have a podcast called Color of Magic, where we talk about major issues that affect people at and away from their gaming tables and computers from all different aspects that aren't just talking about what's going on in the games, but around the games. You want social issues, you want other places to get some of that, they are a great resource. So, well, thank you, Daquan. And once again, you're welcome back at any point because the conversations are always going to go long and that's great for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm good for content if nothing else. Like I said, it's, I'm glad people enjoy listening to me because I like to talk. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsqueue can be found at Hotsqueue, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten, or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at hipstersmtg or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>